Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. The title of this message is called One Last Thing. One Last Thing. We're going to look at a familiar um, story in the Bible, and hopefully we might see something new that might um, relate to us, and in that um, relating to us, it might cause a bit of a shift or a consideration of where we are in life. One last thing. I was watching this TED talk, and one of the guys um, said this quote, which I thought was really interesting. It was an observation, and um, he said, in our fast-moving modern world, it seems that the time train is pulling out of the station just as we reach the platform. No matter how fast we go, no matter how cleverly we schedule, there are never enough hours in a day. Is anyone finding that? If there was a metaphor of life and you needed to catch this train, the time train is like, you just get into the platform and it's just just about to head out. No matter how well you try to plan, no matter how well you try to organise, no no matter how, how well you try to order your life, it just seems that this world is just getting more and more hectic and more busy and there's so many more things. And I personally find that I often get lost in life. I can get confused in life. I get lost. Well, really, I don't get lost because I'm actually there. I'm presently there. And like right now, I'm not lost. I'm here. But something does get lost. Even physically, I don't get lost. I lose clarity. Does anyone else lose clarity? You know, we we know that we need to keep the main thing the main thing. But I go through life and sometimes the main thing, I have no idea. What is the main thing again? I have no idea what is the main thing. And, and we know it's, it could happen so fast. You know, on Friday, um, on Fridays I start my day, I've got a meeting at 7 o'clock in the morning, um, every single Friday, and for some reason my alarm did not go off this Friday, right? Didn't go off. So I'm lying in bed, Andrea's like sort of punching me nicely, in a, in a lovely wifey kind of way. Um, we had Jackson in between us because Jackson and Caleb had been sick all week. So if she was closest, she might have elbowed me. But no, she was just like sort of punching me. And, like, I'm going, and, I, and finally, like, I, I turn around to her. It's like, she, she's going, babe, it's past seven o'clock. That just started my whole day well. You know, have you ever had one of those days? You've got to wake up. I'm thinking to myself, do I have a shower? Do I have, don't have a shower? I'm thinking to myself, I better have a shower. Go have a shower. Get ready. Go over there. Over there. But that, that set, just set a, a chain reaction of, of so much random stuff happening and, and all, all these things. And, and by the end of it, I, I was like an absolute daze. That was just one day. One day out of 365 um, happens all the time. We're all familiar with life that gets in the way and, and things that happen. And at some points we might have some clarity, but then we lose clarity. At some points we might know what priorities are, but then we lose priorities. It happens to absolutely everyone. And we're all familiar in that we all make these kind of mind games to help us to clarify what really is important. Have you ever thought of yourself or, or considered for the rest of this week, if you had nothing at home to eat or anything, you only had $50, what you would spend that 50 bucks on, right? 50 bucks, you know? I mean, you had $50 last year for the rest of the week. What, what are you going to spend it on? Are you going to, like, go out and buy, a, a, like, a movie ticket or, you know? If that was me, I might even forego having coffee to actually buy something to keep me alive to eat. Um, we do that. We, we, we know this mind game. If you were stranded, 
<laughs> on an island and you can only take five things with you, what are those five things that you would take? Well, those five things, they would generally, we would assume they're the things that are most important to you. The things that you think would sustain you, things that actually, it brings clarity when we start thinking about those kind of things. Have you ever thought about this? If I only had one day left on this earth, what would I do? What would you do? I know what I'd do. Well, I think I know what I'd do. I'd go, I'd, I'd hang out with my family. I'd make sure I, I see a, a sunrise and a sunset. I'd want to go down to Cottesloe and, 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 and go in the, in, in the water. I would eat as much Indian food as I possibly could. I would, like, I would try to fit so much stuff in. What would you do if you just had one day? It amazes me. It astounds me. It makes me feel so sober when I think that Jesus actually knew he had one day left. And what does he do? He washes feet. One last thing. Guys, one last thing. Before I go on to suffer, before I go on, just one last thing. We're going to be in John 13 and we're going to pick up something about human nature in this story, which I hope we get a bit of us laugh out of, but at the same time, I hope we're honest enough to say, oh, maybe I'm one of those, I'm a bit like that as well. But we're going to read from verse 1 to 17. Familiar story, and it's kind of funny because we just took communion, so now we're actually going back to the actual moment. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands, my head as well, Lord, not just my... Peter's crazy, eh? I reckon when we go to heaven and we look at Peter, we won't need to ask, who is Peter? We'll actually look at some crazy coot just running around and say, that's got to be Peter because that guy is crazy. He's loud and crazy. Verse 10. Jesus replied, A person who is bathed all over does not need to wash, except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are no greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. What an interesting story. We're all pretty familiar with that story. 
you know. We've actually, in church history, we've even taken that thing and, and we've made that moment liturgy. Like, you go to some churches and some movements, some denominations, and, and you might rock up there. It could be your first time going, going there, and you'll actually see someone washing other people's feet, which looks kind of odd, wouldn't it? Could you imagine, like, if we had that in a service right now? I just took off my shoes and brought out a bucket and, and you started. It's a bit odd, isn't it? It was a bit odd even then. What John does is that he's actually telling us something that's happening at this supper, but something that the other gospel writers don't tell us happened. But what they do, the other gospel writers, they actually tell us what is happening in the environment, what is happening that causes Jesus to do such an odd thing. I'm going to show you. Luke 22, verse 14, the same moment, Last Supper, this is what's happening. When it came time, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, listen to, listen to the tone of Jesus, okay? I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I mean, as you read that, can you actually sense, can you pick up there's a tone in Jesus? There's anguish in the tone of Jesus. He's saying, I've been hanging out. I've really been hanging out. You have no idea. I have longed to actually have this meal with you because I know I'm going to be, my sufferings are about to begin. And for this moment, I get to share it with you. I get to enjoy this moment. But from here, I'm going to go and the cross is just the next, like, it's not far away. Can, can you pick up that tone? You know? I think it's amazing that this is happening and these guys are eating this meal and then the disciples, true to form, true to form. Do you want to know why Jesus got up and washed their feet? The disciples, true to form, verse 24, have a read of this. In this moment with Jesus' tone, then they began to, uh, to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Now, you don't pick that up in John, but Luke tells us what's going on. Do you see that? Can you imagine that? Jesus over there, last, last meal before going to the cross, actually tells them, I'm, gonna, I'm about to suffer, and like, I, I've been hanging out for this so much. And then these boys, true to form, they start like arguing with each other. They like, say, mate, as you're good, but I'm better, mate. I am so good. I reckon I'm going to be the greatest. You know what? I reckon I'm going to get the accolades. I reckon that, you know what? I'm going to be the most, the one who's most well-known. I'm going to be put on the pedestals, not you. And then, and then someone else, but no, nah, you're Peter. You just, your, your mouth will get, always gets you in trouble. You, you, you're like foot and mouth syndrome. You're like, people are just going to disregard you. I'm, I'm the one. And then John pipes in, but I'm the one who Jesus really loves, you know. Um, there is this arguing which is happening. And true to form, the reason I say true to form, this is not the first time that these boys have been arguing about this. This seems to be an issue that is constantly happening, the bickering, the arguing, that's always happening. It's not the first time. There's one time when James and John get their mum involved. Do you remember that story? You know? Mum, go talk to Jesus. Jesus walking along. Little older lady rocks up. Um, can I help you? Yeah, I've got one request. Okay, what's your request? Um, that you seat my, uh, my sons at your right right-hand side and your left-hand side when you're in glory. They didn't have the guts to go to Jesus themselves. They got mum involved. 
Have you ever met guys like that? Get mum involved. This has been an issue. As When the disciples heard about that, they started bickering again. What was the end result of that? Jesus is talking to them about servanthood and he's saying, even a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's the end of that story and they're still going on. Unbelievable. And I have no doubt at all whatsoever that as they go into this upper room and their feet, their sandals, there's like dung and there's dirt and it's just nasty stuff. And you need to understand that they didn't have tables like us. They had to recline. So they, they, the table would be down and they'd lie down probably on, on their left elbow and their feet would be out. You know, their feet close to the other person's head so they can smell the, what's going on. And I have no doubt as they walked in, each and every one of them, obviously they would have seen that there's a basin there, there's a towel there, and there's water there. And the purpose of that equipment is to wash feet, yet none of them do it. They all saw it. Jesus, one day left, one meal left, with his closest friend. One lesson left. He gives us a bit of context, doesn't it? Let's reread John 13. Understand this is what's happening. It brings new light to the Gospel of John, doesn't it? John 13, verse 2 to 5, It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table. Why did he get up from the table? Well, we kind of know. Took off his robe, wrapped the towel round his waist, poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them, with the towel he had around them. Understand this. This is something that when you're in leadership, even as a parent, I think you get this. So understand what's happening here. Jesus is here. He knows what's happening. He knows he's got one day left. So, so these are his disciples. These are the ones that he chose. Okay, He can't blame anyone else. He chose them. All right. He selected all of them except for Judas. Okay, So we get that. We're not going to go into things like election or anything like that. He chose these guys to carry the mission forward, to be agents of liberation, to proclaim the kingdom of God. And on this last day, this is what's happening. They are bickering. They're arguing about who would be known, who would be, have the greatest accolades, I think it's amazing that Jesus is observing the future leaders of a church, of the church, acting in such a childish way. Isn't that crazy? That sometimes happens, doesn't it? You could be a parent and you look at your kids and they act childish. You could be a leader and you see your future leaders. And even though they're adults, they're acting like a bunch of babies. That's exactly what's happening here. One last thing. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. We don't understand, but that was the dress code of not just a slave, but a really bottom-of-the-ladder slave. 
There were those in Israel who thought this job of washing feet was not fit for slaves. It was only reserved for the lowliest of slaves. And there are many in Israel who thought that this job of washing feet should only be reserved for Gentile slaves. That Jewish slaves were actually too good to do such a menial task. And Jesus takes off his robe. He exposes the top half of his body, the dress coat of this slave. And he starts to do something which is so menial, so degrading, so unheard of. You can imagine a disciple saying, we wouldn't even let a Jewish slave do what you're doing right now, and here is our master doing it. What a powerful lesson. One last thing. I reckon it was one last tap on the backside, really, because that's what it is, isn't it? You know, that's what it is. I think it's interesting that... um, (laughs) Simon, everyone's silent. Simon's the only one who has the guts to say something. So, are you going to wash my feet too? At least he learned. Last time he tried to rebuke Jesus, he, was take, he took Jesus off to the side. You know what happened? Get behind me. So he just got a pretty severe reprimand. At least he's got the sense not to do that. And what I find interesting is that from verse 12, it says, After washing the feet, he put on his robe again. He sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet, as I've given you an example to follow, do as I have done. I think that when Jesus says that, it really releases us as Christians from being mere admirers to actually being true disciples. Do you know what I mean by that? You can look at some guy or some lady and they do a beautiful work of the kingdom and you admire it. That is amazing. That is awesome. Um, one of my friends was um, who I pray with on at the meeting I went um, late to on um, Friday was telling me about this story that he'd been um, trying to kind of digest. And um, it's a story of um, Jean Vanier. I don't know if anyone knows Jean Vanier. Um, So he was on this trajectory of being this great academic. But he um, went to a place in France, and he saw that there there were all these people and and children with mental illness, and they were chained. Um, they, They were just... There was this era. So he gave his life to actually providing an environment to love and care for him. And um, there's this video which, um, which shows him. And the cameras are not in the room with him, but, but they're, they're kind of outside just looking in. And, and there's this moment where this old elderly man now, he's with this disabled boy, and he's looking at them huh, just face to face. Face to face. And he says, you are beautiful. I can admire that, but I'm not called to be an admirer. I'm called to be a disciple, a follower. Isn't that powerful? Oh, he's got some works and he talks about what does it mean to be human? That's a great question, especially in this day and this age. But the need of every human is to be loved, to be known, isn't it? But what an amazing picture. Oh, face to face. Wow. Amazing. 
When Jesus says this to the disciples, he says, I have set you an example. You read through the Gospels. I reckon Jesus was face to face with a lot. A lot of people face to face. We are people, we admire great feats. You know, this afternoon, hopefully, the mighty West Coast Eagles will get a victory. And we admire that. We admire the great, we admire the grand. We admire people who demonstrate great humility and and selflessness. But when Jesus actually says this, I'm the teacher and yet I've done this. You need to follow my example. He releases us from just being merely admirers to being true disciples. Hey, um, boys, before I go in this Last Supper, one last thing. One last thing. One last thing. I think it's incredible that this happens. And it even goes deeper because I can be so selective in my service. You know, I get to pick and choose. Oh, man, Jesus is there and he sees this happening. And he not only is having a meal with everyone, but he washes everyone's feet, including the man who would betray him. We can pick and choose. Jesus is saying, I'm your teacher. I'm setting an example right now. Don't want you to be an admirer. I want you to do this stuff, right? There's a challenge there. Well, I can pick and choose who I serve, Lord. Um, Evidently, no. We can't. We can't. In the Orient, um, custom to eat with someone was the highest sign of friendship. The highest sign to actually be invited around a table. That's why in the stories it was so amazing, you know, uh, the stories where, where Jesus would go and, and he would either invite himself in or he would gather around a table, he would eat. That was the highest honor, you know. The most despised guy, the chief taxpayer, Zacchaeus, Jesus said, I'm coming to your place for dinner. I, that is the highest honor for the most despised man in the town. That's why he was elated, that's why he was full of joy. It was the highest honor. And the highest sign of betrayal was to betray someone who you ate with. That was the highest sign of betrayal. The highest. That's the, that's the biggest you could go. And not only does Jesus eat with Judas, he serves. He undresses in front of Judas. He fills the water. He gets a towel and puts it on. And he bows down and he washes his feet. His betrayer. William Barclay said this, It's easy and so natural to resent wrong and to grow bitter under insult and injury. But Jesus met the greatest injury with the supreme and the supreme disloyalty with the greatest humility and the supreme love. And Jesus is saying, do you understand what I have just demonstrated, what I've just done for you? He says, you don't know everything about what I've just done, Peter, but you will know. You will know. Peter didn't know Judas was going to betray him at that moment, but you will know. You don't know the full story, but you will know more of a story in a couple of days. Actually, a couple of hours. And it's funny. I mean, Jesus gets up and he sets his example because no one else did. But everyone else saw it. You know? Everyone's feet was... Dirty, 
And the reason why he did it is because in this moment, which was so special to Jesus, they were bickering and they were arguing about who's the greatest. And that is the point where I can relate. Because all that moment did, it just exposed arrogance and pride. And I've got to be honest, I reckon I'm probably the most arrogant and most prideful person in this room because I know me a lot better than I know you. And there is something of that that lurks in every heart, isn't there? And even in this example, Jesus is, is trying to expose this, but he also gives the antidote to this. And it's kind of informative and instructional for us to know that we're at times when we become aware, where we actually have that emotional intelligence and self-awareness to actually know, wait a minute, there is pride that is lurking. There is arrogance that is lurking. There is, I, I think I'm better than that person. I think that my opinion is right and they're wrong. In those moments, there is an antidote. We may not like the antidote because it means we look like the lowest of slaves. But there is an antidote. There is an antidote. Here's the lesson. It's actually written for us in Philippians 2, verse 1 to 11. Here's the lesson. I'm going to read from verse 1. Paul, he's speaking, and he's articulating what's happened in this moment in the Last Supper. He says, If there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship together in the Spirit, are your, heart, are your hearts tender and compassionate, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Get this. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that's above every other name. And that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory and and of God the Father. Paul's saying what Jesus was saying. This is the attitude we need to take. This is the posture we need to take. In those moments and those lives, this is what's happening. The context is these boys, the final day, they get to be with Jesus and they're acting like a bunch of kids. And Jesus says, here's your antidote. Serve. Pour yourself out. Pour yourself out. I think it's interesting that he says to Peter, you don't fully know the story now, but you're going to know the story. He's actually saying what is happening right now is going to be so beneficial for you because we as humans, we have this sin nature and sin elevates self and puts other people down. Sin by nature tries to turn in on ourselves. And Jesus is saying the antidote, and not just Jesus, the rest of the New Testament, which is actually articulating and echoing what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is doing in this moment, is saying that we as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to serve. And not just pick and choose. Serve those who hate us, who despise us, who betray us, 
oh my gosh, is any wonder they did not want to take on that towel and fill that basin, even though they saw the equipment was there. And so often in our life, we can be like walking up to the upper, upper room and we know that the equipment, that the utensils of service are there and we can so often walk right past. But how beautiful that Jesus lets us know. I'm going to call the band up. We're going to close up. That Jesus lets us know. It's a lifestyle of service. It's a lifestyle of pouring out. I love um, Paul writing to Timothy. First Timothy, he says, I've poured out, I've poured out, I've poured out, I've poured out. Second letter to Timothy, he says, I have poured. I'm down to the last drop. For all of his life, he's been pouring, 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 pouring. As he comes to the end of his life, as he's writing to his, his, his son in the faith, Timothy, he says, I have poured out, I have run my race. And now it's up to you. That's our life to be servants in this world, to do that. Is that all right? Do you get a little bit of um, insight into that story? Interesting, isn't it? So human, isn't it? Puts us all on the same field. Father, we thank you for your word. I ask that we would take away something profound and significant from this day. Father, I ask that we would be a church not of admirers, but disciples, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, living in a world that is so different, and is so attractive, that we would be public spectacles for you, Lord, that we would be holy people, that we would be a righteous people in this world, that people would look at us and they may be able to see there are cracks and there are failings and there are fractures, but nevertheless, we may be broken vessels, but behold, there is a gift, there is a glory, there is something that, there's a, there's a treasure that is inside this urban vessel, Lord. Father, I ask that we would pour and we would pour and we would pour and we would continue to pour out Lord we would continue to serve we would continue to love we would continue to reach out and that you Jesus you would be glorified and if we ever ask that word that question who is the greatest may there be a unison response Jesus Jesus.